1: Nine nine five gold. That's eight three three nine nine five gold. Eight three three nine nine five G O L D.
0: If you're a firearms enthusiast like I am, or you have one in your life, let me tell you about the industry's best kept secret, Bear Creek Arsenal. This is a veteran-owned and operated gun manufacturer, Bear Creek Arsenal. That is based in Sanford, North Carolina. They make high quality firearms at an incredible value. Learn more about Bear Creek Arsenal at BearCreekArsenal.com slash Buck. Use promo code Buck to get 10% off your first order. One more time, BearCreekArsenal.com slash Buck and promo code Buck to get 10% off your first order.
1: Welcome to today's edition of the Clay Travis and Buck Sexton Show podcast.
0: All right. Third hour Clay buck kicks off right now. Our friend Andy McCarthy joins us. He is at National Review, a Fox News contributor, former federal prosecutor, and he is in Chicago right now watching his son play baseball. So I'm sure Clay is going to have some baseball related questions for you or, you know, little league questions, Andy. But if <laughs> I can, and thank you. Thank you for being with us. If I can start My pleasure. with that. Uh, uh, eighty-three million dollar judgment against Trump. We kind of want you to give us your your just your top line on on that, and then we'll get to some of these other legal things. It's just getting crazy, isn't it, Andy? I mean, eighty-three million dollar defamation judgment. How do you how does this stuff? How can the system be taken seriously when it's so preposterous?
2: Yeah, I, I think the best way to look at it is, um, in the first of these two trials. The issue of sexual assault was actually on the table for the jury to consider, uh, and they found it, but they awarded $2 million for it and then looked at the defamation and said $3 million more, so it was $5 million. So you have a case where the allegedly horrific thing that happened was at issue. The jury found it was proved, at least to their satisfaction, on a low civil standard of proof, but gave a very modest award, which I think is tant- uh, is testimony to the fact that, um, you know, it's, it, it's a shaky story without a lot of um, factual support. Then you get to the second trial where sexual assault is not on the table. It's simply a question of damages for defamation, including one act of defamation that the jury actually considered but didn't have to vote on, uh, in the in the first trial, and it's eighty three million dollars. You don't even have like the sexual assault involved in the case, and it's eighty three million dollars. Very, I'd say impossible to square, but certainly very hard to square.
1: So, what do you think happens there? We get asked that question a lot. Um, obviously, Trump could negotiate alongside of uh, E. Jean Carroll's attorneys. Sometimes you see when somebody you well know, and for you both, they are not familiar. If a jury gives an outlandish verdict. A lot of times the, the the two lawyers have already set a ceiling and a floor by which they say, hey, we're not going over this number, we're not going below this number. That obviously didn't happen here. Do you think they say, hey, we'll take $20 million, and Trump says, okay? Do you think the appeal just goes on forever? And, I mean, Andy, from a pure legal perspective, here's what I can't get past, and I'm curious how you would uh, analyze this, even leaving Trump aside. He was found liable for defamation based on in the second trial comments that he made in twenty nineteen before there had been any verdict rendered in the first civil trial. So this to me feels almost like a floating defamation. He didn't deny the verdict of the first trial. It feels to me like the story is being reported as if Trump made comments. And I believe she sued on subsequent comments. Right. And that's a different story. But I don't understand how you can defame someone for a trial verdict that hasn't happened yet. Does that make sense to you? It seems very wonky and wacky purely from a procedural perspective.
2: Well, it's a, it's procedurally confusing, Clay, because the 2019 defamation was tied up in appellate litigation over whether he had immunity for it because he made the statement while he was president. And here is where I think the court made an error that I think the appeals court is going to look very uh, hard at. And that is Trump only wanted to have one trial here. Yeah. And Judge Kaplan insisted on having two. So I do fault Trump for not contesting the first trial. Because, yes. you know, look, if you're a defendant in a civil trial and you don't contest, it's not like a criminal trial. The jury gets told that they can draw an inference against you for not testifying. Right. So you're almost assured if you don't participate to lose. And any good lawyer should have told him, you know, look, if you lose here in the next trial, they have this doctrine that's called collateral estoppel and you won't be able to relitigate. You know, he should have he should have participated in the first trial. But that said, it should only have been one trial. And sure, maybe there would have been a second one anyway, because if he kept defaming her, you know, she was going to keep suing him. And at some point there would have been a second trial. But it's really Kaplan's fault that there were two trials and the result of how Trump handled it, he really didn't have a defense in the second trial. So it was like, I, I think this is like a human thing more than a, th- than a legal thing. But I've always thought there's something really cathartic for a jury in finding someone guilty or finding against somebody on a, on a civil tort. And the effect of that is to kind of depress the damages. Like you, you think that you've, you've already struck a blow by saying the guy did it. And that has a moderating effect, I think, on damages. Whereas here, they didn't get to do that, this jury. The only thing, the only way, if they decided Trump was in the wrong, the only way they could slam him was with damages. And they really did. And on your first question, I think this isn't a normal case. I think you're right that in a normal case, they probably negotiate an amount and like everybody goes home. But there's a political component to this. And because it's not a, criminal case, Trump has to put up the money in order to appeal. He doesn't have to pay it to Carol, but they have to pay it into an escrow account. And I think part of what's going on here is if you think about this case and then you think about what's coming with this Judge Engeron decision when he gives whatever he's going to give on the civil fraud case where where the state is asking for three hundred and seventy million dollars, that's going to tie up a lot of Trump. That's half a billion dollars. Yeah. That's going to be tied up for a couple of years while he appeals.
0: Andy, (laughs) uh, and we haven't even gotten to the criminal stuff and I want to spend more time with you, with you on, on that, uh, too. But the, so, so the civil stuff, it sounds like they're draining his resources and his time and, and there's just all, and also there's just the optics of going into court and this jury found against him and all this stuff. On the criminal side of things though, what is the latest i know we've talked to you about this uh a bunch we always look at it seems first and foremost the uh january 6th trial in dc because that's the one that could be the most politically damaging according to the polls does it look like that's gonna happen
2: well it looks to me like it can happen buck until at least the summer and then to me. It, it, so if this is where I think I've been wrong all along. I, I've thought that it would be so unseemly to subject him to a two to three month criminal trial as it gets really close to the election, that there was like a certain date that if they couldn't start by like X date, they wouldn't start. I I, I now think I was wrong about that because they've blown past every single norm you can imagine to get this guy. And I just think if the, you know, if it tease up, that they can't get to trial until, say, mid-July or early August. I think they're so determined to get that case to trial, they would try to push it to trial, even though it's two to three months, and even though in criminal trials, unlike civil trials, the defendant has to be present every day. So, I, you know, I hope I'm wrong about that, but um, I, don't, I don't think anything would stop these guys if they thought they could get that case to trial.
1: Okay, so Andy, let's go into the time specifically because this to me is the crux of maybe the 2024 campaign in general. Initially, they were going to try to start the Jack Smith case on March 4th. That's the day before Super Tuesday. There is 0% chance that that's going to happen, right? We're at February now. Uh, we've been saying on this show from the moment the Supreme Court took uh, the case that dealt with part of half of the charges on January 6th, Supreme Court can wait until late June, if they want to, to issue an opinion there. I think it would be very hard to start before the Supreme Court has ruled on that, to say nothing of the presidential powers argument, which is currently pending before the D.C. Circuit and has everything frozen there, right? Supreme Court can still take that up. Trump's going to appeal there. I now think that this New York City Alvin Bragg case may be the first to go to trial and that the Jack Smith case may or may not end up happening. If you were setting the over-under, and I know this is complicated. I know we got nine months until Election Day basically sitting right now. How many cases do you think of these criminal nature are going to be able to be completed? I mean completed, jury, full verdict, before everybody officially votes. I think Election Day is November 5th, if I've got that right, for 2024. If you were setting an over-under right now, what would you make that number?
2: I'm still going to say one. And the reason I'm going to say one is, even though I think you're right that the Bragg case could get to trial, and that's a shorter one, I, you know, maybe I'm fooling myself on this, but I, if I'm the Democrats, I don't want to start with that one. I agree. he could actually beat that case. So they haven't
1: been. And also, to- by the way, I think, I'm curious, Andy, sorry to cut you off. I think yeah. Buck and I have been talking about this on the show. I think a lot of people see all of these New York City cases as just kind of a big gob, a glob yep. that's all connected, even though some of them are civil, some of them are business related, some of them are sexual assault related in the overall New York procedural shuffle. Do you agree on that front too? Not to mention the charges are less significant.
2: Yeah, I, I would put it this way, Clay. I think it's a no lose for Trump and a potential bonanza. I think if he if he loses the case, um Exactly what you said is true. It just, like, goes into the ether. It's another New York jury that had it in for him or, you know, whatever. But if he beats the case in Manhattan, which he could do because it's such a stupid case, that's going to discredit everything else in the Lawfare campaign. And that would really be a coup for him, I think.
1: One other question. they'll,
2: They'll do it.
1: One other question that I haven't heard anybody else ask or talk about, and you're an expert, by the way, good luck to your son in this. Uh, he plays for the University of Chicago, I believe. That's got to be amazing. Uh, incredible school to have a kid at that supports free speech, by the way, uh, and also to have a kid playing in college uh, baseball. I'm sure you love going to those games. That's outstanding. Uh, and hopefully it helps to defray the pain of your Mets never having a chance to meet my beat my Braves. Uh, but, right. Andy, one thing that I'm not hearing anybody ask, I'm curious if you've thought about this at all. South Florida has been under the radar. What if South Florida decides to jump ahead of Jan 6 because they know the Supreme Court is not going to rule until probably June, and there are many different complexities there, not as many it doesn't seem actual complexities with the South Florida case. That could keep the Jack Smith case that I think Democrats want to be the focal point, uh, which is the one in D.C. Is it possible that there's too many moving parts now? And the Florida case is a serious challenge in terms of the facts for Trump, but I think the jury's very beneficial. I think the judge is very reasonable. That might last for months and box out the potential of there being charges brought and finished in D.C. Have you thought any about that angle?
2: I, I think that... Smith made a uh, strategic error with respect to that case which will not allow for what you you just laid out okay. otherwise would be plausible and that is if you wanted to do that kind of fast and nasty and get it to trial what you do is you leave the classified information counts out and you just do the obstruction case okay and that I think he could have gotten to trial The problem he has is he larded it up with, like, three dozen classified information counts. And under SEPA, which is the Classified Information Procedures Act, all admissibility questions about classified information have to be litigated prior to trial, and there are appeals. So I think part of what's bogged that thing down is not only the ability to get access to the classified documents for discovery purposes, but also just the sheer breadth of trying to litigate all of the admissibility questions that could possibly come up bearing on classified information uh, documents in the trial, it's going to be very hard. And I don't think the judge is pushing to get the, the case to trial. So it's going to be very hard to get that to trial.
0: Andy, you think Atlanta, sorry, if we're really doing it around the world here of the the legal stuff, uh, you think Atlanta's just basically done, I mean, because of the prosecutor and the and the ethical issues and the whole thing? I mean, is that a non-issue, at least in terms of the election?
2: It's the hardest one to to gauge because there's a lot of moving parts. Now the prosecutor's mired in scandal. She tried to do this big RICO thing to keep together what should have been a bunch of disparate little cases. And an overlay on this, Buck, is that um, Meadows is still litigating whether they can get the case transferred to federal court, which would basically start it all over again if that happens. And I still think he's got a good chance. To win on that. So, you know, I, I think that's very, that's a really tough one to, to gauge at this point. There's too much going on there.
3: Well, but
0: I mean, the prosecutor's issues alone, is that enough that you think maybe just derails it? The fact that, I mean, she's got, she's got real problems.
2: Yeah. I, I think it derail it may derail her participation in it more than it derails the case. But on the other hand, she's the one who pushed for the Rico. I mean, I think the Rico's preposterous. Uh, and these guys never committed, you know, you can't conspire in the criminal law unless it's a conspiracy to violate a law. And trying to get an election reversed is not a crime. So that's not really the basis of a conspiracy. So she tried to paper over that by invoking Rico. But the truth of the matter is the only thing these 19 people ever did together was get indicted. Um, you know, otherwise it's a bunch of disparate crimes committed by A lot of people, many of whom didn't even know each other or know what each other was doing. So, if she's out of the case, I wonder if it lasts as a RICO, as opposed to you know, look the four the four people have pled guilty. They haven't none of them's pled guilty to the RICO, right? And with respect to one of them, they had to make up, even though she has like this hundred and forty page indictment or whatever it is, uh, they had to come up with another crime to get this person out of the case because it wasn't you know she couldn't plead to anything that was in the case. So it's a mess. Andy,
1: enjoy the game. Good luck to your son, University of Chicago's baseball season. Um, and, man, as crazy as 2024 already is, I'm sure we're going to have you on a bunch of times breaking this all down with Forrest. We appreciate the time.
2: Thanks, guys. Great to talk to you.
1: Sandy McCarthy, Buck. He's as plugged in as anybody could be with all this lawfare that's going on. And, uh, by the way, we'll take some of your calls if you have questions about this, because I do think it's now the most significant aspect of the Trump-Biden battle that we can't fully handicap because all the information is not out there. Speaking of fully handicap, uh, how many of you out there like to fully handicap your fantasy football teams? How many of you out there are already thinking about, fantasy football season, even though there's only one game left on this year's season. My kids are, for instance. They're already thinking about the draft. Who's going to be the picks? You want to make a little bit of fun uh, and hopefully a little bit of money in the process. You can get, right now, believe it or not, up to a $100 in credit in your name if you just go right now to prizepicks.com slash clay. Listen to me carefully. prizepicks.com slash clay. I'm going to give you picks for the 49ers game coming up against the Chiefs final game of the year I'm going to be out in Las Vegas for that big matchup and all you have to do to get hooked up is go to prizepicks.com slash clay again up to a hundred dollars no risk money in your account if you make a hundred dollar deposit and I'm going to give you four winners next week so why not go ahead and sign up? This is fun. You can check it out. It's easy to use. prizepickscom slash Clay. Make your picks virtually everywhere in the country, including California, Texas, and Georgia. Get ready for the big game between the 49ers and the Chiefs. I'm going to give you some winners, hopefully. And in the meantime, they're going to give you up to $100. No risk right into your account if you deposit $100. Again, prizepickscom slash Clay. One more time, sign up today. Pricepicks.com slash clay 24 a new podcast from clay and buck covering all things election episodes drop sundays at noon eastern find it on the free iheart radio app or wherever you get your podcasts
0: why are people still on the fence about owning gold and silver i just don't understand
1: have we already forgotten about regional bank closures inflation global instability and the potential for serious world conflicts nine nine five g o l d the number one fantasy sports app in America's prize picks it's the easiest and most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. Five million members already active on prize picks if you've not yet downloaded prize picks, do it today, unlike other apps on prize picks it's just you against the number it's about the players and not the teams. You look for the sports you know best and that you follow the most. Then you make a single decision on each player projection. More or less, every time you play, you pick two to six players and make that one decision. You can win up to 100 times your money on prize picks with as little as four picks. More player action on prize picks now than ever, and it's the best way to get action on sports in more than 30 states now. Prize picks also gives you injury insurance, so your picks stay in play even if one of your players gets injured. Download the free Prize Picks app and open your account. Use my name, Clay, for a first deposit match up to $100. Download the Prize Picks app. Use promo code CLAY, that's C L A Y, to get set up and get a deposit match up to $100. Pick more, pick less. It's that easy.
0: We're proud supporters of those who serve our country and our local communities. That includes our military, law enforcement, firefighters, emergency medical professionals, and other government service personnel. There's an American company whose entire mission is built around serving these individuals, GovX.com.
1: If you've served our country in one of these ways, go to GovX.com and join the community today. It's fast, easy, and totally free. GovX members get access to unbeatable discounts from thousands of trusted brands that want to honor your service. Brands like Oakley, Vortex Optics, Yeti, Under Armour, and many more. You'll also save big
0: on sports tickets, entertainment, and travel. GovX.com is a one stop shop for everything you need on or off duty. A portion of every order goes towards nonprofits that serve the military and first responder communities. More than 8 million people are already saving every day through GovX. Visit GovX.com and use code CLAY in the shopping
1: cart to get an extra $15 off your first order. GovX, savings for those who serve. <laughs>
0: All right, welcome back in, everybody. We've got Charlie Spearing with us now. He has a new book out, Amateur Hour, Kamala Harris in the White House. And Charlie, Clay and I have so many questions. Good of you to be with us. Thanks for having me. So, t- t- first off, would you just t- tell us some things about Kamala, the Vice President of the United States, that we may not already know that we should know? Because you are deep diving into everything here
3: uh who is this vice president? What do we need to know? Yeah, just taking a look at her record and certainly her time as as vice president has been sort of featured the word salads, but when you go back and look at her career, especially her presidential campaign, she struggled with a lot of the same problems she's having now as vice president. And it's what happens when you have a fairly popular politician from a one-party state like California sort of emerge onto the national stage and then immediately think that somehow you're going to connect with voters on a national level without gaining the necessary experience. So, Charlie,
1: you, you I think have already gotten some attention for the story of how Kamala was selected. There's been reporting that Joe Biden, uh, Joe Biden's wife was very un uh un, un, un unappreciative of the attacks being uh, Joe Biden being called a racist in that uh, probably signature moment of Kamala's campaign and that she didn't want Jill didn't want Kamala Harris to be selected. If you believe that to be true, how did Kamala Harris come to be selected? Who was she selected over? What, what, what have you been able to discover about that?
3: Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Jill Biden actually was preferring, Susan Rice because it became very clear after the summer of riots and the George Floyd protests that in order to sort of put together the uh, Obama coalition, they would need a woman of color on the ticket. This is what Biden's senior advisors were telling him. This is what Obama was telling him behind the scenes. They very much agreed that it it was time to pick a black woman to be on the ticket. The the hard part was picking was who it was going to be. Jill Biden favored Susan Rice despite all of the craziness surrounding the Benghazi terrorist attacks and so and certainly Pelosi and others did not necessarily make Kamala the first pick but I think ultimately the senior advisors took a look at what Kamala was doing behind the scenes on the media aspect and really pushed pushing the issue hard and they finally convinced um, Biden he he complained that he was forced to go with his head instead of his heart and I think that's why he ended up choosing him
0: how confident are you uh, one way or the other, Charlie, after looking into all this uh, as to whether or not the Democrats would allow if they needed to allow for someone to take over for Biden? Would they give it a go with Kamala Harris? Or do you really think like there's a lot of discussion about this out there, uh, that there could be some other plan where even though she's the vice president, she wouldn't really take over the presidency?
3: Yeah, there's a lot of nervousness behind the scenes of what happens if Joe Biden can't make it to election day. Do we just automatically put Kamala Harris as the Democrat nominee to take over Trump? That's unlikely to happen. The only reason that Joe Biden's running again is because Kamala Harris isn't ready. So I foresee if, if Joe Biden doesn't make it to election day, I can see it at a very, a very tumultuous time for the Democrat party. Uh, certainly you're going to see a lot of donors trying to pull their, their, you know, preferred candidate forward to replace Kamala. And certainly no one expects Kamala to seriously compete with Trump at this point.
1: Okay. So if Biden were not to run, uh, based on your reporting, uh, about Kamala, what do you think would happen then? Kamala obviously has a very high regard for herself that doesn't seem to be. Reflected in staff, right? Even, or to reflect say, reality. Yeah, yes. but to say nothing of what people in the larger world, you know, I mean, all of us know, sometimes perception of political figures or just celebrities in general can be 100% artificial. There are people that seem very likable in the public eye that are actually awful. There are people who seem awful that are actually very likable. To me, the fact that Kamala Harris can't keep a staff is not a very strong endorsement of her uh, both likability and also workability. What do you think they would do? So you're right. I think Buck and I would agree with you, and I'm I'm interested that your reporting reflects this, that the idea was clearly Joe Biden's going to be 82, we'll pass the baton to the next generation of Democrat leaders – but Kamala has been such a disaster that Democrats have decided Joe Biden's the guy who would be in the mix. Do you think it would be Gavin Newsom? Do you think it would be Michelle Obama? Do you think it would be Gretchen Whitmer, uh, J.B. Pritzker? What would Democrats do and how hard would Kamala Harris fight to argue that she had to be the pick in the event that Joe Biden's not able to be the pick?
3: Oh, I think she'd fight tooth and nail if they tried to pass her up and put her, put somebody else in her place, somebody like a Gavin Newsom or a Gretchen Whitmer. I think Joe Biden preferred Gretchen Whitmer as a VP candidate back in 2020, but I, I don't think that she would be very happy if any either one of those tried to. There's been a long history of competition between Gavin Newsom and Kamala Harris. Um, if do you think they like each the other? Presidency, what do you think their
1: tumultuous. relationship is actually like behind the scenes?
3: Oh, the relationship between Gavin and Kamala is very much frenemies. On the outside they are super cordial and nice to each other, but behind the scenes they are very much working to protect their political brand and leverage themselves one over the other. It's interesting they were both running for both eyeing the race for California governor in twenty sixteen and until the Barbara Boxer suddenly resigned and opened up a slot for Kamala's political ambitions. So
0: How is how is Kamala Harris? I mean, you obviously chart this. We've got a copy of your book here, by the way, Amateur Hour, which uh, folks, especially who are uh, streaming the show, can see uh, up on the website. Um, How did she manage to become the vice president? I mean, I know that's that's a book length question and not just. But you know, what does she do well? How did she? I mean, she does have to get some credit for maneuvering. As one of the worst national-level politicians, based on political skills that are visible to the general public, that anyone can think of, she did become the vice president. How did that happen?
3: Yeah, it's interesting. The Biden campaign has, and you can see this as they head into an election year. They're really sort of focusing on her strengths, the things that she that she offers to Joe Biden, and one of those is the the ability to promote the idea of abortion rights um another is connecting with young people that's why she's been sort of playing in her safe spaces on the campaign trail really focusing on those issues that Biden needs help on they realized they needed a person of color to get up there and talk to black voters because Joe Biden was so bad on the issue right around the time that he was choosing a vice president famous lines like poor kids are just as smart as white kids and back when he said you ain't black if you don't if you vote for Trump and Those kinds of things is why they chose Kamala because he needed, he needed help on that, on those couple of issues.
1: I don't know how much you spend it. Again, we're talking to Charlie Spearing. The book is Amateur Hour, Kamala Harris in the White House. Kamala Harris got her start in the political universe by being the mistress of Willie Brown, the mayor then of San Francisco. I think also very powerful in California legislature circles, if I'm not mistaken, over the years. That story, for the most part, is not talked about. And Kamala doesn't have children of her own. She's married to a high-powered uh white Jewish attorney, Doug L., uh, Emhoff, I think, who most people have no idea about. Yet she's supposed to be this paragon of black womanhood, even though she also is Afro-Caribbean. I believe she's half a, a, a Indian, right? She isn't... uh that similar to most black women in America when you look at her bio and you look at her history. Why do you think there's been so little discussion about her history? And how much do you think in your reporting has the media protected her past?
3: Yeah, Clay, absolutely. The media has sort of protected her brand. There's a reason why people don't talk about Willie Brown, uh, because she hates talking about it. She hates Anybody, any discussion of how she first arrived on the political scene as the 29-year-old girlfriend of a 60-year-old politician, powerful politician, running from married the North, politician. Francisco. Right, his wife Blanche was estranged from estranged from him, but he was sort of looking to prove that he could lock down a serious relationship, where typically he was often seen with many women on his arms as he traveled traveled around the city, but. The reason why Willie Brown matters is because he appointed her to a, two different state boards that paid her over $400,000 in, in state funds while he was dating her. And, you know, adjust that for inflation. That, that's almost like $800,000 in today's money. So this is how she arrived on the political scene. Willie Brown funded her, brought, opened the door, brought her into his political world. And that's why she's, that really kicked off her career. And Charlie, this is important to me because
1: for, we were just talking about how Biden does very well with women, right? Single women, married women. Kamala Harris as the other woman, the, what I would describe as the side chick of a man who is 30 years older than her. That doesn't resonate very well with especially married women who don't like the second woman who kind of swoops in with an older guy who's already had success. And yet I bet huge percentages of voters have no idea that that is in Kamala Harris's background or is a prominent reason why she rose to power.
3: That's right, Clay, and that's why I wrote the book. You know, there's not too many books written about the first term of a vice presidential candidate, but there's a very real possibility that Kamala Harris could be the 47th president of the United States if Joe Biden runs and wins in November. So it's important for for voters to sort of look deeper than just the word salads and really understand who this woman is and how she got to where she is now. And then that way you can have those conversations about when you go to the voting box in November, who are, we, who are we voting for? Are we voting for Joe Biden or are we voting for Kamala Harris? As someone who hasn't run a national campaign on her own successfully to this point.
0: Charlie, uh, the book Amateur Hours Out. Charlie Spearing is the author. Before we let you go, one quick question for you is you're a Kamala expert now. <laughs> that is a title that you carry around with <laughs> you, it. sir. Who is more likable, Kamala Harris or Hillary Clinton?
3: Ooh. That's really tough.
0: Ooh, indeed.
3: I <laughs> would say yeah, he a stung a he him. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> you He actually stumped him.
0: Yes. All right, Charlie. Well, yeah, if you want to keep everybody in suspense, maybe they'll get a sense of it when they read the book. Amateur Hour. Charlie Spearing, the author. Um, the Kamala Harris in the White House. Go get the book, everybody. Charlie, thanks for being here with us. Appreciate it, man.
3: You bet. I would say Hillary Clinton is more popular because she's at least earned the the losers' flag of, of sympathy.
1: All right. I think we're going to have to answer that question. I'm going to answer it for you, Buck. I'm curious what your answer is. Yeah. Charlie, great work. Appreciate the book. Thank you.
0: You know, Clay, you. downstairs, I got something special that I can uh, hook you up with, my friend, because, you know, we start to drag a little bit, traveling and doing three hours of radio. I'm and not sure where this is headed. Stuff. You know, I got a little special something for you, courtesy of our friends at Chalk. You know, actually, one of the boxes by my front door right now is my latest Chalk delivery. I love the Chad Mode pre-workout from Chalk. It is so helpful for getting me fired up with energy for workouts, for writing. I am a writing machine. The focus, the energy, the drive that I have with uh, Chad Mode from Chalk is phenomenal. And if you want something that's a more holistic day-in and day-out, overall wellness, energy, drive, and focus approach, they've also got a male vitality stack, which is formulated by Chalk, by our friends at Chalk, to address declining levels of testosterone which are at an all-time low nationally. So this is a big problem, and you want to get some good solutions going. Boost your testosterone, mood, energy, and focus in 2024 by subscribing to Chalks Male Vitality Stack. I'm going to take a scoop of the pre-workout as soon as we're done here. Make it a part of your daily regimen. You'll feel the difference. May well be the ultimate daily boost for American men. You also hear about us talking about Chad Mode, obviously. I was just saying, I got a whole new box of it downstairs. I got, I got the, the flavors going. It is, they tell me you can mix it in other things. I think it tastes so good. I just put it in water directly. Uh, so Chad Mode's the best pre-workout I've ever had. Honestly, it's, it's just the best. Uh, and during February, Chalk is offering a massive discount on any subscription for life exclusive to you in this audience. So go to Chalk.com. It's C-H-O-Q.com is the website. Use my name, Buck, as your promo code. That's chalk, C-H-O-Q.com. Use the name Buck for this amazing discount.
1: 24, a new podcast from Clay and Buck, covering all things election. Episodes drop Sundays at noon Eastern. Find it on the free iHeartRadio app or
0: wherever you get your podcasts.
1: Call 833-995-GOLD. That's 833-995-GOLD. One more time, 833-995-G-O-L-D. We value the heroes from our military, law enforcement, firefighters, emergency medical professionals, and other government service personnel. So does an American company whose entire mission is built around serving this deserving group. GovX.com. If you've served our country in one of these types of jobs, go to GovX.com and join the community today. It's easy and totally
0: free. GovX members get access to unbeatable discounts from thousands of trusted brands that honor your service. Brands like Oakley, Vortex Optics, Yeti, Under Armour, and many more. You'll also save big on sports tickets, entertainment, and travel. GovX.com is a one-stop shop for everything you need on or off duty. GovX donates a portion of every order
1: to nonprofits that serve the military and first responder communities. More than 8 million people are already saving every day through GovX.
0: Visit govx.com and use code BUCK in the shopping cart to get an extra $15 off your first order. GovX savings for those who serve.
1: Up to $100. Download the Prize Picks app. Use promo code Clay, that's C-L-A-Y, to get set up and get a deposit match up to $100. Pick more, pick less. It's that easy. Welcome back in. Finishing up Thursday edition of the program. Go subscribe to the podcast. Go subscribe at ClayandBuck.com. You can become a VIP and watch the video every single day. Buck asked a question. I have put it up online to allow all of you to vote. Who's a more likable person? (laughs) The good question for Charlie there at the end totally stumped him. He froze. There was a long period of silence on the air
0: this is like do you want to be struck by lightning or drink the hemlock you know what i mean it's not not you want to get
1: killed by a shark or killed by a crocodile Um, uh
0: by the way i definitely go shark shark over crocodile way Way faster yeah
1: Yeah. uh so the poll is up buck is tagged at clay and buck is tagged on twitter we'll also put it up at clayandbuck.com if you want to weigh in my as soon as you i didn't know you were going to ask the question but as soon as you asked it my answer is Hillary, and let me give you my answer for why Hillary. I think Hillary is very unlikable, right? But if you're asking who is more like an average woman, Hillary is a mom. Uh, Hillary stayed married to Bill Clinton, even if you don't like him. She was willing to be the first wife of Bill Clinton, and they've now been married for 50-some-odd years. Uh, Hillary is a grandma. Uh, I think Chelsea has three or four kids, whatever she has. Um, And Hillary actually, I think, is far more competent in terms of intellectual talent. So, I mean, maybe I, have, maybe
0: I should have asked you. You have no you have no choice at all. You have to. The, the, the candidates for president of the United States are Kamala Harris or Hillary Clinton. Uh, to me, I, it's no contest. I, mean, I would go Hillary. I, I would go Hillary and not just for fear of what would happen to me. Because of the Clintons, if I went against, them. yeah, well, There's and that. the
1: answer some people are going to say, well, you know, Kamala Harris that we know of has never committed <laughs> any serious. A, I mean,
0: no, no one in Kamala Harris's orbit like suddenly like slips in the shower and yeah. is never heard from again. But I'm just saying. Uh, but I again, to me,
1: Kamala Harris is maybe the biggest figment and enigma. Buck, what percentage of people do you think know? That she was the
0: other woman for Willie Look, Brown. I, 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 I gotta be, I mean, there's, there's that component yeah. of it, but I even think, I think Kamala Harris in a lot of ways, uh, epitomizes the height of DEI Correct. power in America. The same way that the president of Harvard epitomizes the height of the DEI, DEI movement's ability to put people in positions that they would not have otherwise gotten of extreme prominence, uh, a lot of, of influence and, they're not even close to capable or qualified for the role. So I think Kamala is really a symptom of the overreach of DEI in many ways. And I just think, again, the idea that
1: Kamala Harris in some way is reflective or representative of black women in America is always been one of the biggest lies about her entire political career. She's a side chick. She doesn't have any kids of her own. She's married to a super rich white jewish lawyer who by the way was already married to somebody else so it's not like they initially had some sort of relationship uh she owes her entire political career to the fact that she was willing to sleep with the right guy at the right time i don't think that's very representative of what most black women or most women in america are actually like and i think most of them don't know her story which is why i think what charlie's writing is so important